Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, and welcome to Scholarly Communication, the podcast about how knowledge gets known. Scholarly communication is an open and ongoing conversation about how communication does knowledge. The premise of the podcast is this. Communicating is not a transferring, as if knowledge might be vacuum-sealed and delivered totally conserved brain-to-brain. No, the premise of the podcast is that research communication is a place in time where people meet to represent and to recreate the things they claim to know. Communication is meaning as knowledge is too. And meaning is not something we send or receive, it's something that we make. I am your host, Daniel Shea. I invite you to listen to authors of research, to editors at journals or chairs at conferences, and to professionals in the training of research communication, all talking about how it is that the written word makes known the real world. My guest today is Wouter Lux faculty at the CISPA Helmholtz Center for Information Security. Wouter's group use cryptography, anonymous communication, and systems engineering to research the construction of secure, practical, privacy-friendly systems. So let's begin today's episode. Wouter Lukes on scholarly communication. Hi, Wouter. Welcome to the program. Hi, Daniel. Pleasure to be here. Um, as my listeners will know, but I'll let you know, this is not so much about what you research as to how you do that research. And the basic division I make there is between the scientific collaborating that you do, the scientific reading that you do, and the scientific writing that you do. Uh, perhaps we'll pick up right there at the end with the writing. This um, is one of those areas where many scientists, especially uh, junior or early career scientists, are challenged, perhaps because very often they're not so well prepared for the challenge. They spend much of their undergraduate time or even their master's time focusing, of course, heavily in on the science. There's a lot to do there and a lot to know. And then suddenly they need to start publishing. Um, 
this scenario that I've just sort of described, does it ring a bell with either yourself or what you see around you? Um, I, I think so, right? I think, I think writing is definitely a very challenging topic. Also a topic that I sometimes wonder whether we teach well enough and whether we prepare our students well enough, whether we train them well enough to, to write or maybe to slightly, if I, if I may write to, to pull it a little bit more broadly, to communicate about, about science, about ideas. And I think this is something that, that we're, we're, we're sometimes, right? I mean, I, I somewhat recently started at CISPA, so I haven't fully gotten my 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 hands on 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 the situation exactly here but right but more broadly this is definitely i think a challenge that that students especially undergrad or early graduate students as well run into right how do i communicate these ideas in a way that other people understand even though students themselves might actually have a pretty good grasp of these ideas but are not necessarily able to then convey these ideas therein to others People who do writing studies or rhetoric and composition or other areas that involve um, basically text, if you like, they they often make a statement and have made findings that show that you increase your understanding of a subject by being able to write about it. And of course, that means more than just, you know, putting together a few bullet points or something along those lines. It means, you know, composing perhaps an entire article or a section of an article or, or a book, or even just in some more informal sense of a journal, but speaking in text that is complete thoughts, there's some discovery that goes on. And, and I wonder if that's part of what's not communicated, if you like, <laughs> communicated to early career researchers or to students even that, you know, it's not like you should just know how to communicate or how um, to write. Some of this involves also understanding the same material and the same skill sets that you have, but in a different way. I, I, I think that that rings true to me, right? And actually, I've been thinking as I was, as I was answering your previous question, right, is that very often, I would say, not being able to, to, to communicate ideas might actually be sort of a sign that you did not fully understand this after all, right? And there is this there is this this idea, I think, especially among those of us that are fortunate enough to 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 be allowed to teach other people, right? Is that teaching is actually a great way to to understand the topic better, right? Because you 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 have to think about how you convey these ideas, right? And I think uh, so it's definitely true that that as you engage with the material in a slightly more structured sense right be that writing or be that creating a presentation right forces you to 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 admit maybe also what you don't know and i think i think in that sense writing is a very is a very important tool of doing of doing the actual research and and this is actually interesting right is that you might you might write a lot of things that help you in doing your research that will not in the end be part of your written output, but that are still essential for doing the research and understanding what you're even trying to achieve. That, that's a great point of doing the actual research and that not all the writing will necessarily show up in that manuscript that gets submitted here or there. I think that, that, that is precisely what I'm speaking to, you know, getting across, because I think a lot of barriers could be taken down if, if it gets across to uh, people 
were earlier on in their career, let's say, that, you know, the writing is not just, you know, some sort of generalized skill that you can just apply to, you know, any content, you know, as if you could just turn around and then write a novel if you needed to, and then turn around and write a newspaper article, right? I mean, (laughs) being able to write a newspaper article means that you're a journalist, and that you look at the world as a journalist does. Being able to write a scientific article has, you know, the same meaning in your context of computer science, wouldn't you say? I, I think so, right? I think that there are very specific skills to to writing that definitely do not transfer, right? And I think as as uh, as I've been moving sort of through this through this space of of academia, right? Starting off as a PhD student and then a postdoc, and now uh, a somewhat young faculty member, at least young in academic sense, right? Um, there are also there are other demands that are put upon you in terms of writing, right? And definitely not all of these are of the same nature. And 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 being able to write a good research paper does not necessarily mean that you can do the other things well. Although there is definitely transfer happening here, right? Where we're being able to write one thing reasonably well will help you in the other. Um, but I also think, and, and, and maybe this is not where you wanted to go, Daniel, right? Is that there are different... There are different aspects to writing where one is a very very technical sense where you can use writing as a means to develop ideas um, that are somehow almost orthogonal to this maybe if I may art of writing right where you where you think about okay how do I then nicely convey these ideas and and, and I think both of these are skills to be developed and 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 being able to separate these out has really helped me and, and I think also some of my students to to worry less about, okay, maybe this is not the best writing ever, but it's very functional and it gets the job done of pushing my research forward. Yeah, that, that is indeed exactly where I, was, where, where I was taking that. This idea that, as you nicely put it, right, the art of writing and the technical side or the technical use, rather, of writing, right, a, a fantastic way of developing ideas that... That, that is that idea. Well, it actually shows up in other kinds of writing. You know, I mean, you'll talk to novelists and they'll say, you know, I write a shitty first, first draft just to get it through. Yeah. To get out the idea. And, um, you know, I'm sure every newspaper article we read probably isn't perfect the first time through. But but that's actually beside the point. I, I digress. What, what, what you're saying there is using the writing for for research generation, for ideas exploration is precisely what I mean. I think that's something that's specific to science because you need in science because of the massive complexity and the massive data, a means to hold on to some stuff, don't you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And I think one, one of the things that I, that I tell my students, right. is like, like some ideas you don't necessarily need for first ideas. You don't need writing. You can, you can stand in front of a whiteboard, make a couple of drawings or chat with people, right? And it's very engaging. But then at some point, and, 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 and this is maybe specific to the type of research that I do, although I'm pretty sure that, that this is more <laughs> generically true, right? You need to, you somehow need to deal with all the nitty gritty details and all the nitty gritty details typically means that your initial idea was wrong. And the only way that I have found that this reliable in being able to 
figure out all the ways in which you got things wrong is actually to sit down and write down the details, potentially work a little bit on on the proof or at least an argument of why you would convince somebody else that this thing that you just wrote down is actually secure or in my case um, private or in other words why, why it's actually a good solution and and I think uh, it is there really where where writing as a as a technical tool almost really really shines if you don't do that writing you're gonna stay in 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 sort of fairy tale land and, and where, where everything always looks good because you never sit down and work on the details. And so I think for, for these type of things, right, especially I think for, for the more, let's say theoretical sides of, of computer science, even though I wouldn't call myself necessarily a theorist, right. But where there is no proof in the putting of, okay, I ran this experiment and it worked or not, right? Like that's not how the type of research that I do works. So really the only way to validate your intuition is to work through the details on paper. You've, you actually, and what you've just said, sort of answered a question that I had jotted to myself earlier on. Um, I wanted to sort of sketch out this idea between sort of a rough and ready distinction between, you know, let's say in your case, the cryptography, computer science end of things all the way down to the finished paper. And where does the writing come in? You actually have already said, yeah, when, when you've gotten to a point where the details need to turn into an argument, where you've gotten to the point where the details need to find a motivation for even their existence or why to pursue, right? I mean, so part of that came out. And that that brings us perhaps to the other side of your divide, your neat divide there between let's use writing as a technical tool, but then there's some sort of art of writing. I'd, I'd like to unpack that a little bit. It sounds to me like what you're referring to is the what we would more traditionally think of as the communication end. So in other words, this isn't just writing to explore, this is writing to tell, to put into an article, for example. Yes, I'm, I'm, like, I'm trying to figure out what's, what is your question here, right? But I, didn't, but I, didn't, but, but, I, but I can make me, a question that was no, very... No, no, let, me, let me say something and then, and then you, can, and then you can, can, can steer me perhaps in the right direction, right? So I think uh, there is definitely this other aspect of writing to tell, right? Writing a story that will make, if your artifact is an academic publication or, or, or an article, right, where really this, I think, become has become a pretty important aspect to writing these things, right? Whereas the, the, the technical meat of it, there is skill in clearly conveying ideas and, and, and here the art of writing does come in, but somehow it's more contained than in, say, setting the scene of the paper and explaining what you're actually trying to solve and why this matters, where um, this is definitely maybe the most important thing. So the, 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 the importance of, 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 of this art of writing, I think, changes depending on which part of an, of an academic paper you're writing. Yeah, that that is key, and 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 maybe we can talk about that briefly. I mean, I I'll venture a guess, and then you can please just correct. I would say that what you're calling story, what you what other people might also, and what you've also called uh, argument, um, is going to show up fairly strongly. Let's say in the introduction, but when you're in sections that have to do with methods, it's going to show up much more weakly because it's 
again now the details, which may even almost at points seem fragmentary, that matter. And then it's going to get re-picked up when you're in results and discussion, and then, of course, all brought up to the front again once you're back into um, conclusion. Does, does, does it sound like I'm describing a paper in, in a way that you would view it? Um, you're just, I mean, no. And in the sense that you're describing a paper that I think fits much more with sort of the what I would call experimental sciences. Like, I think it would fit reasonably well for, for maybe potentially chemistry or biology, although I will immediately admit that I don't know too much about that, so maybe this is also a, a somewhat wrong statement. Um, I think, interestingly enough, right, a lot of the papers that, 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 I, that I write, and quite frankly, also almost all that I, that I, that I read, and I read somewhat broadly, do not follow the structure of introduction methods results. Instead, um, if you if you were to 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 tease these apart, right? Very often they they present a certain system or scheme or solution, or at least in the in the constructive side of things that I that I work on, where where really the the middle part of the paper, let's say everything after the introduction, really is about here is my proposed solution. Um, and here is my evaluation of how that works, rather than, let's say, methods and, and results necessarily. Now, I think if zooming out, I think your claim is still, is, is I think, true in the sense that um, there is much more storytelling and argumentation in the introduction as well as maybe a little bit discussion conclusion although also the discussion section is not something that that in in the specific area of security and privacy that I work in is a particularly strong or highly valued section of a paper interestingly enough but it does show a little bit up a little bit more there but definitely more in the introduction and then for the core of the paper where where really the story is okay i've told you about a problem that i'm trying to solve and here is my solution that is where it becomes a little bit more rote in terms of writing a little bit more standardized but still there is this art if you wish of i only have a limited amount of time and i still want to convey to my reader what are the core ideas of what I want to do for maybe my entire solution. And then on the lower level, what are the core ideas of a specific building block or a specific part that I'm presenting here? Yeah, that, that's that's definitely what I meant. And I mean, despite the inaccuracies of uh, clearly of, of, you know, let's say the different experimental or non-experimental approaches, engineering type approaches maybe. Um, but yeah, as you're moving down into what you say are the nitty gritty details inside of the solution part, you are still throwing ropes up here and there to the high level ideas, keeping the reader, let's say in tune with, you know, why all of this matters, but it, but it's not happening as intensively or as continuously, I would say, as it does in other parts of the paper. Absolutely. Absolutely. Moving over to the area of what I call scientific writing, which is a term that's kind of meant to be the counterpart to 
I, I said it wrong. <laughs> scientific reading. <laughs> scientific reading. We've just been talking about writing. It's meant to be a counterpart to that. And and my my mistake right there probably shows up exactly what I'm talking about. In other words, people think when they're thinking about text and science, yet scientific writing, scientific writing. And I want to also explore on this podcast the idea that the reading is just as important and is and is done per volume, probably far more than the writing. So in other words, as far as engagement with text is concerned, it's it's going to eat up an enormous amount of a scientist's time. And a scientist really is well advised to understand how to do it, I would say. That is that is absolutely true, right? I, I, I thought about should I should I compute before talking with you, should I compute how many papers I have read this this year or last year, right? Um, and this is this is a pretty staggering number, right? Like this is early sooner a hundred papers than 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 much less than that, and and a lot of that is really deep reading of papers as well. And one of the reasons is that obviously the only the only way that science works is that we do a lot of peer reviewing, right? So one of one of the things that that I spend quite a bit of time on is actually reading papers that other people wrote in order to 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 try and figure out are these are these papers interesting enough to be published somewhere and that really requires very very careful reading uh, of other people's writing and as I have to say is a very interesting exercise but it indeed means that I that I read quite a lot I think the 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 I mean what I was trying to do before was to show that writing is uh, and you seem to confirm this writing is a more complex multi-part activity than most people think and I, and I want to kind of bring over the same thinking into reading I, I find that you know the word reader is is just too general like I would talk about there being a searcher a skimmer and then at some point as you were just saying you know the deep dive when you really need to engage with the paper then you become a reader and at some point you become a citer <laughs> and 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 I wonder if this this like these sets of roles inside of the reader, if they resonate with you, and if this is something that you feel that maybe people beginning out, you know, early career researchers, PhDs, and stuff, if they're missing that aspect to the activity. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Interesting. I'm... I am not a hundred. I'm. This is interesting, right? I think. I think. Um, one aspect that I'm trying to get out of papers that I read, but I don't always succeed, is and and this partially comes back to this idea of communication that we started off with, right? It's like, what are the core ideas of a paper? 
um, that are presented there. And I find that 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 at least the, the well-written papers, the ones that I typically tend to enjoy, make it somehow easy uh, to extract these ideas. And that then also would mean that that for those papers, I can pretty quickly grasp what are the core things that are happening in this thing without requiring me to read the entire thing. So I do think that that sort of coming back to your question, do 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 students or do writers in general do a good job of catering towards different readers? And I think sometimes that is indeed not the case where they they assume a certain way of reading that is that is not met, right? Or, or a certain understanding of the material that, that a typical reader can typically not live up to. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's probably being in close. This is often what I find. I work, as my listeners will know, I work together with uh, scientists and help them write. And what I often find is that is actually one of the bigger obstacles to communication. Uh, you know, whether it is that you're creating communication or perhaps also using somebody else's communication as a reader and in, in our topic right now, that you're in so close to your own topic that you you can't imagine you know, the different uses you could make of the different information that you have in front of you. Yeah. So in the case of reading, that there are different ways of reading, you know, you, you pick up a paper and you imagine you've got to understand everything. I mean, that's not really what the paper is there for, is it? I mean, it's designed if it's written well to, to serve different researchers in the different aspects of their, of their research process, aren't they? That that is absolutely true. Although also in in defense of of I think some of the writers, right? I have I have on 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 more than one occasion tried to find a certain answer in a paper, and sometimes that is very difficult. Um, and and I I totally agree with you, right? That in 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 a lot of the cases that is a let's call it a failure to communicate. But I also think, and and this is then actually more goes more towards a science aspect, right? Is that very often in, in, in my work, at least, I'm trying to use existing things in maybe slightly different ways than, than the original authors intended, which means that sometimes I ask myself questions about, could I use this in, 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 in this way or that way? Or I wonder about certain properties that the authors just never put a lot of attention on and didn't really spell out for anybody because they didn't expect that this would matter. And this, I think, is something that, look, that lets me do interesting research and, and, and get interesting results because I get to explore parts of the problem space that maybe other people don't, but I would not necessarily blame that on, on the writers of these articles, right? But I do think... Um, yeah. No, most certainly. I mean, this. The, the, I mean, that's how science advances. I mean, it's not possible as a writer to incorporate every reader. I mean, the article would never end at that point. <laughs> um, but but what you say there is 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 exactly what I I mean when it comes to being a savvy scientific reader, right? I mean, realizing that, you know, hey, this is interesting stuff that that I'm finding here in this paper. But my intention disaligns with their intention in just this precise way. And of course, proving that off of the paper and then locating there, as you say, a new space to work in. Yes. Great. Then one of the other things that, 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 that jumped out at me was you, you, 
you said there there are some of these papers that are just so easy to extract you know the information from and what we were talking about earlier when it came to writing was that you can use writing in a way that helps you do your research and i've often suggested to people and explore with people that i work with using your reading to be able to do your writing so in other words, if you find one of these papers that are so well designed that it just lines up for you so easily, in the reading, you can also be looking at the text, not just the research content. Is, is this something that, that you find yourself doing or have done before? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is actually so, so I think once I, so this, I mean, this goes back a while already, but I think once I started reading papers to review them. So I, I pretty distinctly remember when this started. And this made a pretty massive impact on my own writing. Not necessarily, so this is a slight twist on your on your question, but I think it's still relevant, right? Not necessarily because I would take out ideas from papers on how to write, although I have done a lot of that and I'm still doing a lot of that where I'm like, ah, this works pretty well. Let me copy that. Let me, let me, copy is not the right word, right? But let me be inspired by this structure because it works well and it will probably work well for my work. But learning how to review papers or looking at papers with a reviewer mindset really made me, I think, a much better writer. It really let me see which kind of challenges other people's text have and then let me actually, as a result of that, I think, improve my own uh, pretty dramatically. Yeah, this, this, this is very interesting stuff that you're talking about here. I mean, the reviewer is one of the most specialized scientific readers that there are. And they are the readers that every single research out there is going to encounter. And in fact, often when I speak to researchers and ask them, hey, what are the things that you want to see perhaps improve in your field? They often speak to the review process. So you, you've you've opened here a topic, which as far as reading is concerned, because reviewing is clearly a form of reading, right? Um, that That deserves attention, I would say. So maybe you could help us out just simply by giving a sense of what it is that as a reviewer, as a beginning reviewer, you you were learning there? So I'm not so okay, there there are two ways to answer this question. First, I will I will, I think, answer your specific question, right? I think the the, the skill that I picked up there is a little bit of a counter to what you earlier called being too close to a text. Where I used to be obviously, right, as a PhD student, too close to my own text, too close to my own ideas. And I think reviewing other people's papers really with the purpose of reviewing them, let me slip, let me understand how to slip into the mindset of somebody else. Now, this is not a perfect science, right? But I think that was one of the key the key tricks that, that, that helped me understand to look at my own text from more or less the point of view of somebody else, which is, I think, what what helped me improve my writing. Yeah, that's, uh, that, I mean, that there you've just summarized one of the classic moves in, in, in solid communication is being able to see your text not as you yourself. I mean, that's uh, what I'm hearing you were able to take away then from your reviewing. Exactly, exactly. 
You were implying that there was more, though. Uh, yes, because you, were, because you were hinting a little bit at, at, at let's say, the, the review process, right? And yeah, I think, and this, is, and this is something that I've been thinking about a lot over the last couple of years, reviewing pretty significant number of papers. And I think, um, I like to think that nowadays I am reasonably okay at doing this. Um, and I've noticed a sort of shift in my in my thinking that I think other other students or early researchers also sort of go through, where in the beginning you're being much more critical, whereas nowadays what I really try to do in essentially every paper that crosses my desk is to figure out is there potential in this paper or are there interesting ideas in this paper that are that are worth publishing? So I really try to take a a as positive as possible approach to a paper um, in order to figure out what what are we going to do with this. And, and that is an interesting exercise in and of itself, especially because not always did the authors succeed in, in, in clearly communicating their ideas. To some, so to some degree, I, I, I played a game with myself time permitting to to figure out okay even if they didn't necessarily spell this out what what are they trying to do and what is their their core contribution as it were in order to then decide do i believe this can be can be fixed or is already good enough to be published that's great. What you've just described actually naturally occurring to you or through your own effort, better said, uh, many reviews. and I, I, had a lot, I had a lot of good, good mentors as well, I have to say that. So I cannot, I, I definitely don't want to take credit for this. Um, well, okay. I mean, mentoring is, is, is a two-way two street, let's say. But, but let's hold on to the mentoring idea in a moment because I want to switch over to that. But, but, but what you say is fascinating because what you've just suggested is the solution that nearly every researcher I've spoken to and who's complained about the review process has suggested as one of the primary ways forward. And that is, you know, looking for potential and constructively reviewing rather than taking down. And I, I, I wonder, you know, can you put your finger, I mean, you mentioned mentoring and, and please explore that and we can just transition right over into collaborating from there. But um, so, so what was it for you that, 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 went from reviews where you were a bit more harsh of a critic to the reviews that you do as you do now? I, this is hard to say because I think this has been a, a, a gradual process, I think. I have, always been, I have always been a relatively careful reviewer, right? Like I like to, to dive into the details, at least to, to, to the extent possible, right? Um, and to figure out whether whether things are correct or not. And and this is one of my this is one of my hard stops in some sense. Like if I really believe that that a solution is not sound for whatever notion of sound you, you wish to use, right? That would for me be a reason not to uh, accept a certain paper. But I think as um, as one of my mentors was pushing me, right, to, 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 or discussing, right, like, like, where do we want to go as a community? Um, also addressing, right, this question of reviews are harsh and also personally experiencing harsh reviews or seeing other harsh reviews on the same papers that I was reading, right? And then that makes you 
wonder, is this really is this really a bad paper or does this paper actually deserve to be published? And I think that really shifted a little bit my my thinking into okay, if a paper is is clearly wrong, then clearly like like that is still for me a a no-go. But then after that it becomes more shady, right? It becomes more is this contribution sufficient? Are there enough ideas here? And then and and nowadays I try to ask myself, okay. Is either the paper in the current form interesting enough, or could it be made with some moderate amount of changes to be interestingly enough? And then I'd be happy to to provide input on that and to try and make that happen. Very interesting, and 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 it and it proves that the reviewer is a reader, but also a community member, as you're suggesting, right? Your mentor there talked about. So where do we want to bring things together? And uh, that's interesting because it also brings us directly to our last area of, of, of communication, which I just call collaborating, scientific collaborating. By that, I just mean the entire network within which you find yourself, um, you know, all the way from the students that you might be supervising to your co-authors, you know, administrative uh, connections that you have. I mean, a scientist today wears many hats, right? There's roles at your institution, there's teaching roles, there's researching roles and so on. Reviewer, which we've just covered, mentoring. Um, how, how do you bring it all together? <laughs> and I think this is an interesting question also, particularly for you, uh, Vuta, because as as you've said, you're um, not, you know, you're mid-career, right? You're, be- you're beginning out in a sense with your new group at a new institution, um, haven't been entirely established 10, 20 years yet. So your view is particularly valuable because you'll give us the view from, hey, this is going on for me right now. This is a very interesting question, and and I've been sort of edging for an opportunity to drop something in here that 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 so so far didn't really fit right in in the sense that um, we're talking mostly so far about collaboration within a scientific area, but one of my so so my research interests are really around how do we build privacy-friendly solutions that solve challenging societal problems. And this really comes from this idea that we can use technology to achieve a lot of good things, but in doing so, we might also create a lot of harms for people and and and, and harming their privacy is one of these ways. But but the key thing that that, that I want to highlight here is that this, this really deal with with what I've called societal problems. And this really means that my research, maybe more so than other research, does not happen in isolation because nobody really benefits if I'm here in my in my little ivory tower thinking up cool problems to solve and then solving them, right? Which which can be extremely beneficial for 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 science, right? But but my interest is also in solving practical societal problems, but then typically do involve doing a lot of, of, of scientific research and then bring with it a lot of scientific progress as well. But it also means that I need to engage with these um, societal problems. And this means that, that collaborating for me in particular, for the type of research that I, that I do and have been doing, also means 
talking with people outside of academia, which brings with it this whole new class of problems brings with it the question of okay look this 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 notion that 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 me and my students understand relatively well is not formulated in a way that i can actually use to communicate with let's say my collaborators at the international red cross because that is not the language that they speak this is wonderful. I mean, you've just expanded now, officially expanded my definition of scientific collaborating to include society, the broader public and industry, perhaps, and other stakeholders. This is, this is fantastic. Is there, it would be wonderful if you, wonderful if you might int, uh, illustrate this, um, if you had some anecdote, and even if you want to abstract from it, but just some lesson learned or some typical problem or challenge uh, in this particular area that you're talking about right now, the societal end of it, the working practically out there. So, so I think one, one, one research problem that I've worked on the last couple of years, and, and, and I'll take the same example that I used before, in, is in collaboration with the International Committee for the Red Cross, where we have looked into, into aid distribution, so humanitarian aid distribution, think about refugees or, or people in, in, in disaster areas, where we have seen that, again, this, this notion of pushing a lot of technology in order to solve, let's say, challenges of efficiency or fairness pop up. And then um, my research then focuses on, okay, can we... Solve similar, can we solve that problem without creating huge privacy risks by gathering a lot of data? Now, this is a bit of a lead up in order to talk about what makes this, what makes this interesting, right? In the first place, I think from a scientific point of view, it, you cannot, it is very hard to imagine the richness of these problems that I managed to to obtain by interacting with these organizations. So I think, I think it is very hard as a researcher to, to actually predict these challenges. So this means that, that we talked about earlier, right, about opening different problem spaces uh, that then lead to new interesting research. So one of the ways in which I open up new research directions is actually by by figuring out what are actually the real world challenges that these organizations run into. Now this, and, and, and here I'm using organizations as if the humanitarian organizations are the only ones that I'm talking to. That's obviously not the case, but by, by interacting with a specific societal problem, you run into these, these real world challenges that you cannot necessarily predict when you're doing purely academic work. And these challenges might range from, I mean, concretely, right, you might figure out, okay, actually, in, in a lot of these deployment scenarios, there is virtually no communication infrastructure. So now this means that your solution somehow needs to be able to deal with the fact that you cannot just send a few bytes over the internet because there is no internet. And that then forces you to think about completely new solutions. But without engaging with these parties, you might not actually ever realize that this is a challenge. Well, absolutely essential then. I mean, it's possible to come up with, you know, implementations or tools which, you know, for lack of internet, <laughs> may not run. Um, another, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, but that, and, and that is fant- fascinating and, and important in its own right. You, you um, suggested earlier, though, that there's also 
communication problems that you and your group may be using words or concepts which don't translate readily to the people in those organizations. Um, could, could you tell us more about that? Yes, right. So, so we. I mean, okay. I'm a privacy researcher, right? So we like one of the one of the 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 sort of professional problems that you obtain as a privacy researcher is that you have this very fine grained notion of what might be certain privacy properties that that a a system might have, and and we have this very granular or this very fine grained idea with a lot of nuance, right? But if I talk about unlinkability of transactions, which is one of the terms that we like to use, that doesn't mean anything to, to ordinary people, shall we say, right? And so this means that there is a lot of translation then involved into what does that actually, what, what do, what, once we design a solution, what does that actually mean um, in terms that, that people at an organization, or in this case, maybe even potential people that are using these systems, right? That are exposed to these systems. What what could they understand? This is a this is definitely not a solved problem, but but a but I think a very interesting one. And this sometimes means that you can deal with examples, but it also does not always work that way. Now the other way around, there is also a a a challenge sometimes right that 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 shows up in 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 a lot of the concrete problems that that i've engaged with where we're very often from a practitioner side shall we say people think very much in terms of solutions whereas one of the 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 dark arts that i've been specializing in is figuring out what is actually the underlying problem that you're trying to solve because very often I need to take that step back in order to then come up with better or different solutions. So also in the other direction, there is a there is a lot of sort of um, effort needed to figure out what is it actually that you're trying to do? Or what is the thing that you're worried about? And that is also a skill that I think we've gotten much better at over the years in terms of communicating sort of both in both directions. If I might ask there, would you say uh, that this works in the other direction and that the practitioners of some sort or other out in organizations or in, in, in real society, let's say, are interested, of course, in solutions, right? Uh, and I understand you with the dark arts talking about the fact that you're sometimes generating problems in order to come up with a solution. Is, is, is that what you mean? Because I've seen in security, for instance, the crazy, <laughs> for me, uh, being an outsider, a linguist, it was kind of crazy, the idea that they're always attacking things and trying to break them <laughs> in the hope, though, of course, of trying to find the best no, solution to defend it. It, it is not, it is not in, in, in that sense. So let me... Ah, okay, right. Um, so very often, I think, and, and this, this you see for a lot of societal things, um, people might say, we need to collect X, Y, and Z in order to do a certain thing. So maybe in terms of, let's say, COVID apps, which is something that I that I worked on a while back, um, that I'm sure nobody wants to really be remembered for, but um, wants to be remembered. Um, but but I think it's a good example, right? Where where you might ask somebody, what should an an app for helping with contact tracing do? And and people might tell you, okay, we we need to collect addresses of people that might have COVID, so that we can send them a letter that they need to stay home. And, and so this is an example, I think, where, where 
practitioners tend to think very much in lines of particular solution directions, whereas research, or at least my research, really benefits from zooming out and saying, okay, but you really don't, these, these addresses are a means to an end, right? There's not, your end goal is not to get these addresses. Your end goal is to maybe send a letter, or if you zoom out even further, your end goal is to tell somebody, can you please stay home? And once you realize that, you can then think about other ways to go about achieving this goal. And, and that is what I, what I mean with, with, with there is a certain art to figuring out what is the actual thing that you're trying to solve rather than the way in which you're trying to solve them, which are two different things. And, and working out these differences really uh, is, is, I think, difficult. Yes, yeah, and key, and 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 thank you for the enlightenment there. I, you know, it, it puts me in mind, and this brings us almost full circle. Um, we we began about you know teaching and whether or not people are learning to write well enough and so on. And you actually made a side comment there that you know you you kind of learn through teaching, and I'm imagining that in these you know let's say public, I'll just say public for now, these public collaborations, you're probably learning as well about how to think about some of these problems and more about your research, I would think. Or or is that not the case? Um, Definitely on how to communicate them and and how to communicate them in a way that that makes sense to, to, let's say, less scientific audiences, which is, I think, I think... um, a completely different challenge compared to how do I clearly communicate to other scientists, right? So I think that is already so. So so that is definitely true. Um, I think it's also very humbling in the sense that you will very often figure out that that your initial solutions are not particularly great, or at least not particularly good at solving these real world problems. And so I think there is definitely that learning effect. Um, I'm not sure if it necessarily so. So in that sense, it does influence my 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 research a lot, right? I'm not sure if it necessarily provides more insights into the solutions themselves. Right, right. How about uh, one last question here in, in collaborating? Because I'm 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 very interested in sort of lab culture and the PI together with uh, his or her researchers. Especially where you're a junior, more junior scientist, uh, tell us about the experience of being the leader of a lab, of a group, discovering new knowledge, people with different strengths, different backgrounds, and how all of this gets pulled together for you. And also how ready you feel or felt when you began to take on that role. I think this is definitely a challenge. Now, I, I, I have to admit that my my students have not yet started, so I can I can only I can only partially partially speak to your question. I think I think the way in which I would answer this is um, I used to be at EPFL in the lab of Carmela Troncoso, and this was a wonderful learning experience for how to create a positive and diverse lab culture, and 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 so this is something that I'm. That I'm hoping to somehow, some way, be able to either replicate or, if not, at least approximate. Well, then, actually, that's the thing to explore. Maybe give us, in, in, in the briefest of outlines, what made the experience there so so positive? 
I think um, I think it was a very collaborative spirit among each other, and also a very generous spirit. And by generosity, I mean a willingness to to help each other, a willingness to help each other succeed, and really. Um, and and this definitely a lot of this came from from Professor Troncoso, right? Really being willing to assist everybody, but then also creating a culture where 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 the lab itself felt like a cohesive whole, where everybody was 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 free in a pretty broad sense to 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 be who they wanted to be and to explore what they wanted to explore while while receiving a lot of support from others. So I think this this open, open, generous culture um, really made a big difference. Very good. Um, to, to close out, there's one or two things I like to just sort of openly ask my guests. Um, the first is definitely that this podcast is here to somehow help the research. I often say help reviewers review better, which is quite relevant to our talk today. <laughs> um, but I say other things as well. Editors make better decisions or chairs make better decisions. You know, uh, writers write better, readers read better, whatever it may be. Even teaching, you know, mentoring. Um, if you have this platform now, anything big or small in your experience as a researcher, we say, well, if we just tweaked or changed this one thing, I know the research would get better. I'll 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 pick on the on the reviewing then, right? I think I think being generous in your reviewing and trying to see the positive directions in which such a paper might go and, and to, to, to write about that in a way that that you or your students would want to receive a review, I think is is would, would really make a at least a positive contribution. The second thing is also quite brief, and it really is just about, since the research group is, let's say, the nucleus of so much work that gets done, is there anything that you feel in your experience so far leading one, which, as you say, is just at the beginning, or even as having been in one, is there any like training or service or structure that you could imagine being put in place there that would, again, do, just as I was saying, somehow improve the research, make you know workflows easier, make um, people reach their goals either more solidly or quicker, maybe? Anything that comes to mind there? Nothing necessarily, except that I think an opening, welcoming culture in a in a lab where where people are 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 willing and feel safe to to talk about challenges and to talk about their research, even when you know this is just an idea that they came up with last week. I think uh, can be a big boon to uh, to in the end fostering productive collaboration and research within a research group. Well, thank you very much for that, Wouter. That is Wouter Lux, faculty at CISPA Helmholtz Center for Information Security. And thanks, too, to you, my listeners. Bye-bye, and until next time here on Scholarly Communication.